The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. invite your attention this morning to the book, the small book of 2 John, 2 John near the back of the Bible. Uh, we have been studying through this book for one week, and guess what? We finish it this week. So many of you have said, I haven't read through a book of the Bible lately. Well, here's 13 verses you can digest easily. Uh, it's very, uh, it goes down very, very easy. Uh, you know, the last week and for the next several weeks until Thanksgiving, we mentioned this past week, we're going to be studying a gospel-centered church. We're going through the small letters of John and the book of Philemon coming up over the next several weeks. And I just want you to see some characteristics of what our church, any church that proclaims Christ, should look like. And that's why we're studying through these small books. And also, just to let you know again that our purpose of this church is to communicate God's Word. And what better way to do that than to study a book? Uh, I know sometimes you don't like when people jump in midship to your conversation you've had with a friend and say, oh yeah, I've experienced that before. And then you give them that awkward look like, where did you come from? Uh, That's not how we want to study the Bible. We want to go through verse by verse, know what the author says and what he is saying and what he is not saying. So that's why we're there. Second John this morning. You know, um, I told Don Harrison before, this, uh, if you know Don Harrison, you know Don likes to joke around and uh, give, you, give you a hard time sometimes. Don, I think that's an accurate assessment. As you look at me with a straight face, that's right. So this kind of reminds me of Don Harrison. Maybe you'll see it, maybe you won't, at least I did. But there's a story about an old physician who got bored with retirement, so he opened up a unique office called Dr. Geezer's Clinic. And his payment system was very simple. He didn't need Obamacare. He had a very simple system. It was $500 to be cured and $1,000 to, uh, or basically you get $1,000 back if you're not cured. So a young guy like myself came in and decided he was going to make some profit off this old geezer guy. So he went to Dr. Geezer the first time and said, Dr. Geezer, I have lost my sense of taste. And Dr. Geezer ordered his nurse to give this young man three drops from medicine box number 25. And Mr. Young, as we'll call him, gagged as quickly when he recognized that Dr. Geezer had given him gasoline. Dr. Geezer said, congratulations, you got your taste buds back, that'll be $500. (laughs) Seeking to regain his money, the young man returned a week later complaining he had lost his memory. And Dr. Geezer instructed the nurse to give him three drops of medicine from box number 25. And the young man protested and said, oh, no, you don't, Dr. Geezer. That's gasoline. Dr. Geezer said, congratulations. You've got your memory back. That'll be $500. Don, this sounds like you, doesn't it? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Infuriated at this point, as any of us would be, he's lost $1,000 to this doctor. The young man came back two weeks later claiming his eyesight had failed him. And Dr. Geezer sighed and said, I'm sorry, son, but I don't have any medicine that will restore your vision. He handed the young man a $10 bill and said, here's your $1,000. And Mr. Young screamed, wait a minute, that's only a $10 bill. And Dr. Geezer smiled, congratulations, you've got your eyesight back, that will be $500. Don Harrison, if that doesn't give you a hard time, I hope, I don't know what does. 
But Don, I love you, and I hope you know that. The moral of the story, just because you're young doesn't mean you can outsmart an old geezer. So there you go. <laughs> it's very true. You know, it, it's just a funny story. I think it's just a funny story about how gullible sometimes we are or how easily we are swayed. And I think another lesson we learned from this silly story is that we know we're in the right place if there are people like us, don't we? This young man just wanted someone who he could con out of money and be like him. And, and Dr. Geezer wanted someone that he could treat and be like him. And uh, both men felt out of place to some regard because they couldn't quite pin each other down. Well, Geezer did, but young man couldn't pin down the silly doctor. And folks, in truth, I think we feel most comfortable around people like ourselves. Would you agree with that? The world forms and functions of people that are often similar and share a multitude of characteristics. Galatians 3 is very clear about this in the church. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, Christian churches, though, often are places that are supposed to be hospitable and welcoming to all. And diversity, if I can say such, is something that should be very much across every church. And Christians are the ones who've reached out to the world to bring people in that are not the same. And historically, you realize this, Christianity has provided more medical access than any religion at any time in any place. I think we can make that case. But is there anyone we shouldn't welcome in a Christian church? Should we welcome a Dr. Geezer? Should we welcome a young man trying to con people out of money? Is there some that we should not care for as a church? It's a big question. I think it's a very big question. And it brings us to Second John today, because this is a question that many of you have probably read through, many of you have probably experienced, that we're going to look at today. But the big idea I think we take away, it's in your bulletin. Judy has done a great job. You see Judy, give her a pat on the back. Judy's always trying to think of ways to get th things across. And you'll see this in your bulletin. You'll see it on the screen. But it's this. How are, is there a place where we are not supposed to welcome certain people? The big idea from Second John is this. Everyone in a church usually wants to be like Jesus in some way, but no one wants to turn over tables like Jesus did, to rebuke false teachers like Jesus did, or to wash the feet of doubters like Judas, like Jesus did. Friends, I tried to compile a list of false teaching verses in the Bible. I ran out of space on my computer, if you could be so, so, so blunt. And there's one thing that as a church we have to remember, that one thing we will not permit in our church is false teaching. I hope you will say in your heart, amen to that. Is everyone welcome here? Yes. But false teaching will never be welcome in this church, and nor should it be welcome in any church. To embrace a partial Jesus is to embrace a false Jesus. So can I know God and be friends with those who aren't? Can I be friends with a Dr. Geezer or a young man who, who seemingly have their minds on straight, but maybe have a little twist of their own in the midst of that? What do you think about that? Well, John tells us two things we must do to answer that question. He says first in verses 7 through 11, we must look for the truth. We must look for the truth. And secondly, in verses 12 and 13, we must long for the truth. Last week, we saw this book of Second John, a short letter, was written to a church, a local church. And we found that John told them that they must have their church rooted in shared truth in Christ and shared love in Christ. Those aren't separate, they're together. And John is writing because he loves these Christians. But he knows, as any pastor should well know, that the wolves, so to speak, as Jesus said, are always outside looking for a meal. Christians can take joy, though, in the progress of other Christians, but doing it in a place that upholds the truth. And friends, he takes joy in seeing this. So the question John will answer for us today, 
when people come knocking on your door, when people come to your church that don't have the same teachings as the Bible, what are we to do with them? How are we to handle it? Are we to have a scheme like Dr. Geezer and charge them $500 if they get the right answer, but if they get us wrong, give them 1000 back? Is that what we're supposed to do? John's going to help us answer that question today. If you'll help, uh, join me, help me, if you will, in standing for the reading of God's Word this morning, six or seven short verses from 2 John. As we close out this short book study of a gospel-centered church, can I, be, can I know God and be friends with those who don't? Starting in verse 7, reading out of the English Standard Version, God's Word says this, For many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not confess the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him or, or, or welcomes him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. It's the word of the Lord this morning. Let's go before the Lord and pray as we start our study today. Father, I thank you so much that we can laugh a little bit at the start of a sermon, but Lord, at the same time, be serious in the same vein. Father, we pray for Tower View Baptist Church as we pray for all churches across all denominations that are truly rooted in the gospel and the biblical essentials. Father, that false teaching would not permeate even a member. But Father, we know that even the smallest crack, Father, the, the evil one, Satan, will try and get through. Just as the Titanic sank with a very small cut, so we can sink, Lord, as you know, with even the smallest ounce of false stuff. Father, protect us. Give us eyes to see, discerning hearts. Give us minds to know the truth. Father, may as a church we stand on that. May as families and individuals, may single, married, widowed, widower, wherever we are in life, may we glorify you in that way. We love you, Lord. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And this message is going to be a little bit different. I will tell you that the first point will take up probably 85% of the, uh, the message itself. I just want you to know that because this message, the, the verses 7 to 11, really encompasses the main gist of the sermon. First thing we must do, though, is we must look for the truth. We must look for the truth. One of those big dead guys that many of you have heard this name, Augustine or Augustine, many of you have heard that name before, had this to say about truth. He said, you, O Lord, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Therefore, Lord, hold fast love and set our minds at rest in your truth. The Apostle John would probably add to that, where truth is adjusted, heresy will reign. What Augustine knows and what John knows and what the Bible speaks about, friends, is that anywhere where we mess up Jesus or the Bible just a little bit, everything else in the church goes haywire. John was confronting, many of you have heard this term, many of you remember the Da Vinci Code, has it been 10 years already, almost 10 years since that book came out. Uh, they were writing about a form of religion back then called Gnosticism. Many of you have heard that before, I think, show of hands. Gnosticism just basically means knowledge in Greek, and it also means a secret knowledge. And basically the Gnostics of John's time believed that salvation is some mystical, magical knowledge that only certain people get. 
and that matter is evil or inferior. So when John writes us, he's writing to a group of people facing others who deny that Jesus actually became a person as God in the flesh. But there was also other people John was fighting against. The big word is they were docetists. These people in John's day believed that Jesus was like Casper the ghost. He kind of walked around, and he had, a four, or he had a, uh, an appearance, but he wasn't really God. He just looked like God. And so John's writing between these two things of getting this right. But what John knows about looking for the truth is he knows that Christology, who Christ is, is the heart of Christianity. If you miss Jesus, you will become just like, was it Dan Brown, the Da Vinci Code guy, who spun tales about Jesus that weren't true because he missed about who Jesus was. And then John issues a strong warning here, church, for us as a church, for you men as head of families, single person, wherever you are, to know to keep your eyes open. So the first thing he says is he says, recognize the deceptive. Recognize the deceptive. Look back at verse 7. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 7 is closely linked to verse 6, as you would obviously imagine. But basically, John is telling this church that the truth is that many deceivers have gone out. Friends, this is just an aside to say that you can never protect your family completely 100%. No matter if you are the best homeschool family, and I love homeschooling, we will probably be doing that in a few years, most likely. No matter if you shelter your family the rest of your life, the truth of the matter is this. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. And their gospel is not one of Jesus coming in the flesh. Throw out Christmas, if this is true. The gospel is a denial of the fact that Jesus came as a perfect, uh, the perfect one and incarnated and fleshed himself. And the heart of all false teaching, again, goes back to who you view Jesus as. Such teaching will deny who Jesus is and what he came to do. About 15 years ago, there was a big group that did this called the Jesus Seminar. Has anyone ever heard of them before, the Jesus Seminar? They did a nice little thing uh, where they wrote a book called The Acts of Jesus. And I just want to give you five summary points that they, they shared. This is not true, but this is what they said. The Jesus Seminar said that the resurrection of Jesus could not have happened because who can bring a dead man back from the grave? The body of Jesus decayed just like any other corpse and is still in the ground somewhere in Jerusalem. Belief in Jesus does not depend on what happened to his body, they said. The resurrection, they also said, number four, was not an event that happened on the first Easter Sunday. After all, if it was not an event captured on video camera, who can believe it? And lastly, they said, It is not necessary to believe historically in the resurrection to be a Christian. Wow. Where truth is denied, what's your first application point from John? Where truth is denied, only therapy remains. To such opinions like the Jesus Seminar, John fires back, this is the deceiver, this is the Antichrist. The word Antichrist here means against or in the place of Christ. Here, against is clearly the meaning. And, you know, the, the Antichrist, a lot of people have had a lot of uh, interest in this in the last 50, 60 years especially. But John informs us here that the Antichrist is not just one person, but anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. That is the Antichrist. Friends, that's why as Christians we believe that you cannot straddle the fence as a person. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we are so grateful you're here. But you cannot be like Switzerland in World War II. 
You can't say I'm neutral when the world is at war around you. You are either for Christ or you are against Christ. There is no myth of neutrality that goes in with that. And the Antichrist here is anyone who denies that Jesus is who he said he is. That's why we believe that even young babies, as cute and cuddly as they are, are not born good, are not born with a clean slate. They are born to their very core, hating God, and are in need of a Redeemer, just as we were. Friends, be careful. Those last two statements I said are taught in public schools. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to public school, but I am saying be careful how you do it. Look and listen carefully, for their colors will come out. False teachers' colors will come out eventually. They're enemies of the truth of Christ. So he says not only should you do this by, by recognizing the deceptive, but secondly, in verse 8, he says resist the deceptive. Look back at verse 8 with me. Here's the command. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves is a present tense command. It's like if, my, if someone came up to me right now and said, Darren, take out the trash. It's not, Darren, did you take out the trash? Or, Darren, will you take out the trash? Darren, right now, take out the trash. John is telling them to be continually on guard. Watch yourselves. Do not let this be anything but a strong warning, he says. Do not be lulled into a spiritual stupor. Your full reward, Christians, is at stake. What does this mean here? What does this mean, full reward? As Christians, we believe that you cannot lose your salvation. If you are in Christ, it was a gift of his, and you cannot lose what was gifted to you. So it's not talking about losing your salvation. Please do not believe that. But it's most likely the loss of reward. The latter seems more likely. Uh, 1 John 2.19, John says that believing is, is proof that you have possession of your faith. So the reward is that you have been saved from your sin, and someday will be, uh, as, as, as Corinthians says, you will be honored by how faithfully you served Christ. Vance Havner, I don't know if many of you have heard of Vance Havner. He's a North Carolina evangelist, but he has an easy way to get this across. He says, faith that fizzles before the finish was faulting from the first. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulting from the first. Here's your next application point then. Friends, it is destructive to add anything to Jesus Christ. I hope you believe that. There is a theological tension that is going on here. For those who have been born by the Spirit of God through faith in Christ, it is a certain evidence that they have been saved, redeemed, regenerated, whatever word you want to throw at it, by the way they live their life. It is also essential that they deny false teaching by the way they live their life. So John tells us day in and day out, we must be on guard. We must be on guard by what we watch, by what we hear, by what we read. Okay, pastor, this is that time where the legalism claws come out, right? So I'm not supposed to go and watch any TV show or, or go to the Royal Stadium. or, or friend, Be careful. Don't let this culture tell you how to live. Let Jesus Christ tell you how to live. Uh, you can get in some particulars there that we can agree to disagree on or whatnot, but I think the truth of the matter is, is that if you add anything to Christ, it's destructive. What do these spiritual destroyers deny? Well, they deny, for instance, the truthfulness of the Bible, the work of Jesus Christ. Some will say that you have to do something else plus Jesus to get to heaven. Some will deny his sinless life, his virgin birth, the resurrection. Some even question if you can believe this or not. Some people today even believe Jesus never even existed, like as a person. 
Many of you have heard History Channel buffs out there. Discovery Channel, turn that on around Easter time. That'll get your fill of that. Salvation. People will deny this. Some will say, it's not a free gift. Pastor, Christ wasn't enough. I have to do more. Christ is enough, and you don't have to do more because he is the salvation. He's the only Savior of mankind. But have me heard this phrase before. There's many roads up the mountain, or all roads lead to Rome. Anyone ever heard those phrases before? Those came out of thoughts of people saying that it's not about how what you believe, as long as you believe sincerely. Oh, get rid of sincerity. Friends, it is belief in Christ and Christ alone that saves us. And that's why John tells them, resist the destructive. Watch out, because people are coming. And look at verse 9. He goes on thirdly. He says, reprove the destitute. Reprove the destitute. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Wow. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Friends, this is stark language. This is not something you're going to see probably on any TV channel coming to you that most people are going to watch. I don't say this pridefully. This is why we study the scripture. Up front or not up front, this is what it says. But this is Jesus plus theology going on right here. They leave the basic biblical truths about Jesus and claim to offer something better and something new. Joseph Smith, with respect to Mormons believing what they want to believe, did this. Many of you know the story. Joseph Smith was 16, 17 years old. His mom, I think, was Methodist. His dad was Presbyterian or vice versa. And he just prayed and said, Lord, I don't know what church to attend. And supposedly Jesus Christ spoke to him in the woods. And all of a sudden he saw the father and the son. And he said, you know, Joseph, everyone else is bad. Why don't you start your own church? The radar beam should be going up really fast in that that sense. Friends, John's judgment on these people is quick and to the point. Such persons are lost and that should break our heart he does not have god john is clear there's no ambiguity if you say no to jesus as the god man fully god fully man you are saying no to the father as well who sent him they always go together we believe in one god in three persons father son holy spirit nothing more nothing less they are the one and cannot be separated. All roads don't lead to God. Only one road leads to God. And it's the narrow path through the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. But what does the theology of the destitute look like? Add literally thousands of cults. And when I say cults, I mean a group that does not believe the scriptures. To the liberal theologians, to modern day thoughts, it's quite a task. And if you go and read any books on this, there's a lot of stuff out there. But it's not as complex as it appears. This is not original to me, but a good friend of mine from the Watchman Fellowship put this together. I want you to look at this. I'll have Amy go ahead and put this up on the screen. The mathematics of the cults. Are you ready for this? Here's your math lesson for the day. How do cults do this bad in in a non-biblical way? First, cults have addition. They add extra biblical sources of authority by prophet, pen, or professor. Cults like to add to the gospel. Well, this isn't enough, surely. We need another book or two or three or four or 27. What about subtraction? Cults are pretty good about math and subtraction. They subtract from the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son. What about division? I think cults are very good at dividing the truth of God's word, not rightly. But they divide our allegiance from God through Christ alone to others. What about multiplication? They like the times where they are the requirements of salvation times by whatever they put in front of you. 
Friends, aren't you grateful this morning, if you're a Christian, that it is by faith alone, through Christ alone, by his grace alone, by his, for his glory alone, through revealed in this scripture alone? Are you grateful for that? These are four simple principles, but I guarantee you any cult you look at, whether it's Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, or run the list, has one of these, if not all of these, or some of these. So he says, be careful. Last point in verse 1 is he says, reject the dangerous. You're not only supposed to reprove it, you're supposed to correct it, but you're also to reject it. Look back at verses 10 and 11 with me. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him or welcomes him, your Bible may say, takes part in his wicked works. Anyone is a comprehensive requirement here. Teaching is our doctrine about what we believe concerning the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do not receive is another command. It's present tense. It's not in the past, not in the future. It's right now. Church, don't receive them. We are not to give them a base of operation from our home, nor are we to welcome them as friends and fellow laborers to the truth of the gospel. To do so is to share in their evil works. But, okay, let's go through this. What is John saying? What is he not saying? How does it apply to us? First, John is saying, do not provide support and assistance to these false teachers. No matter how big their Texas-sized smile is, and you know who I'm referring to, do not help them along in their evil assignment, because if you do, you go with them. John is not unloving or unkind. He is pastoral and practical. Friends, we cannot pray God's blessings on false groups, and they reject the Lord at the same time. What is John not saying then? He's not saying that we cannot allow them in our home, our actual home, for a visit whereby we share the gospel with them. This phrase, home here, is referring most likely, most likely, the best we know, to a house church, to a local assembly of believers. Many of you know this, but in history, we know that churches back in the first century did not have buildings like this. Most of you all know that, I think. It's pretty basic. But what we do know is this house was a house church. And what John is telling these people, do not allow these false teachers, the ones who say it's plus, minus, times, or divide, do not allow them to speak from your pulpit to have a share day. Friends, this is not, if I can say this, this is not everybody hold hands, everyone saying kumbaya, you share what you believe, you share what you believe, and somehow in the middle we'll find common ground. The Christian message is boldly exclusive, isn't it? The Christian message is inclusive as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, for who? Who shall ever? It is open to anyone, but it is exclusive in its claims. It is the most intolerant but tolerant religion out there. John is not saying if someone knocks on your door, you cannot let them in. What John is saying, though, is that as a church, we must be safeguarded about who we allow to speak from our pulpit. Church, you have done this in hiring myself, Matt, and Blake. You have asked us at length what we believe and what we don't believe and why we believe or don't believe certain things. Because can you imagine if we just let anyone come up here and preach? What if we had an open pulpit and advertised on Facebook, hey, come to Tower View and share whatever you want to share? Do you think we'd get a lot of people? I, guys, be honest here. Nod your heads. Do you think we'd get a lot of people here? It would be. It would be like the coffee shop. I can't snap my fingers. That's a trade I never got. I literally cannot snap my fingers. But many of you have been in those coffee shops where they, like, snap and they read the poems. I love that because I can't snap and it's a cool environment. 
But even if we had that atmosphere going, friends, it doesn't change the truth. With respect, Christ is king and no one else. And John is saying, be careful. So let's get practical here. How do you witness to someone who's involved in false teaching? Maybe you have a family member. Maybe there's a coworker. Maybe it's, I don't know, it's, it's someone that you know. How do you do this? Let me just give you some very practical tips. Are you ready for these? I'll give you two slides. First is the principles to remember. Principles to remember. First, always be kind. That goes without saying, doesn't it? Always be kind. But in your hearts, 1 Peter 3, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. Friends, I can, I can honestly testify in my sin that and in Westport, when we preached the streets, that it was often, we know the truth, you don't, therefore you're wrong. Were a lot of the people on the streets wrong? Yeah, be honest. But my heart as a young pastor, as a young preacher was, ooh, get this right, ooh, get this right. Always be kind, because Christ was kind to us when we rejected him, amen? Secondly, be a good listener. Be a good listener. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and it is his shame. Sometimes those in cults or those in non-biblical religions just simply need someone to hear them out. You'd be amazed how many times that you have an open door to share the gospel just by simply opening your ears for 15 minutes. We'll get there in just a second. Thirdly, be kind, be a good listener, but pray for them. I can be honest, as a street evangelist for years, how little at times, I prayed for the people I was encountering right there in front of me. Just being very transparent before you. But Romans 10.1 said, Brothers, Paul speaking here of Israel, my heart's desire and prayer is God concerning them for their salvation. Friends, the, the fact that the, the nation we live in should burden our hearts such that we should not only be kind and be listeners, but we should pray our hearts out to the Lord for such folks. Because God loves them just as he loves us. Friends, finally, that's the last one, love. Matthew 9, 36, it's referring to Christ, but the application is true. When he, Christ, saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like a sheep without a shepherd. I don't know how you handle these knocks on the door. Maybe it's a knock on your cubicle at work or your, your I don't know what you do. But somehow you encounter the world. I don't know. But friends, I pray these are reg- resonating in your heart as I was convicted this week going through this. I pray this is where our church is at. But That's the principles to remember, but what's the procedure to follow? That's the second slide. First, give them 15 minutes, 15 minutes of uninterrupted time, asking them to tell you why they believe what they believe and how they would go to heaven or whatever they think that is after life at that point. 15 minutes. I would challenge you the next time, if you're a Christian, you meet someone who doesn't know Christ, give them 15 minutes. You would be amazed at the doors that opens. I am ashamed to admit this, but my wife is at home with our kids and not feeling well. But I'm ashamed to admit this, but we used to go to William, I used to go to William Jewell. Have I shared this story before? I don't think I have. We used to go to the Mormon jail down in Liberty off Mississippi Street because we were single guys, and we thought, well, if we can convert a Mormon girl, then we can get a wife. Have I told you this story before? Guys, it was so, it was so self, praise God for grace, Amen. We used to go down there and listen for 15, 20 minutes thinking, God, if you would just save this lady, my best friend Brian Peters, who will listen to this, will laugh. We used to do that every six months before they kick us out. We'd go back the next semester, they'd kick us out. Just did that repeatedly. But, you know, as goofy as we were in that thought, we wanted to see him come to Christ. But just listening to them opened up more door for ministry than we could ever have known. 
but also on that secondly, require them that they listen to you for 15 minutes. Say, I don't know how to do that. Friends, sometimes it's just simply as reading the scripture to them. Reading something, or if they ask you a question, say, you know, that's a great question. Can I get back to you? John's concern here is that this church would not allow anyone in their pulpit, but friends, in a Roman culture of the first century, he wrote, you better believe false teaching was around, and you better believe it's around your doorstep all the time. Third practical thing is pray with them and pray evangelistically, sharing clearly and completely the gospel in your prayer. Friends, I, as often as it is, don't just pray God bless them. It is okay to pray, Lord, would you open our, my friend's heart to know the truth? Would you open my friend's heart to know the truth of the gospel? Friends, would you open my friend's heart to know the truth of your word? That is an honest prayer and a prayer they would appreciate. They would appreciate. And lastly, invite them back and invite their friends to come over and do it again. That's an amazing thing. Friends, if you have questions about this, let us know. We are not experts in this, but just know this. God has a compassion for the lost, and that's how we should as well. You know, Yogi Berra, I think many of you love Yogi Berra. Any Yogi Berra fans out there? I'm gonna, Amy's going to put up a slide of some of these sayings. Yogi Berra was known for saying things that didn't make a whole lot of sense until you really thought about it. Uh, he said, you better cut the pizza in four pieces because I'm hungry enough to eat six. He said, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Um, he's famous for saying, it ain't over till it's over. You know, uh, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. All those come back to him at some point. But he was a famous baseball player, and he was uh, retired from playing, and he coached the Astros, Houston Astros, through the Royals beat uh, just a while back. This was in the 60s. But his famous catcher, Alex Trevino, was a catcher at the time, and he recalled the time Yogi did when uh, Alex Trevino struck out. And Yogi asked him, he said, what did you see, Trevino? He said, I saw a curveball. And the Hall of Fame Yogi Berra replied in a Yogi Berraism. He said, well, if you saw the curveball, why didn't you hit it? If you don't know who Yogi Berra is, you really need to look him up, folks. It's very true. Friends, isn't that the truth about false teaching? We know it's out there. We, we can't put a blinder around it. The curveball of false teaching is coming, and we have to be ready, equipped, and able and ready to hit that home run for God's glory by his strength. Bear's words remind us often we see an opportunity, but we don't do anything about it. Don't let that slip. Told you this was going to be the longest point, friends. How does this apply to our church? At least six things, six phrases and words I want to go over with you from verse 11. Friends, how can we be more gospel-centered at Tower View Baptist Church as we reach people who may not agree with our beliefs? First, we need to learn from history. We need to learn from history that there has always been conflict in the Christian church. There always has been. There will always be the fights that we have to fight over whether this word is true. But Christians back then were misunderstanding the gospel. Christians today are in the danger of misunderstanding the gospel. But may it be true, may it be the prayer of our church, that we never divide over the truth of God's word. Can we divide over sports teams? Yes. Can we divide over preferences at food? Yes. I hope we will, because that makes a good meal for different types of food. But will we divide over God's word? Friends, I pray from everything from bottom to top we do not divide over god's word that's what john's prayer was for them second we need to be careful about taking people in our church should be marked and is marked by carefulness and accepting members and accepting and electing pastors teachers deacons whatever it is we should be careful about what people teach and why they teach it and we should be careful about the beliefs that members are bringing in 
That may sound dogmatic, but friends, I can tell you, I can tell you, if you take a glass of water, I used to do this in our youth group at Sycamore Hills, you take a glass of water, you take a dropper of toilet water, and you drop that in there and ask a youth, do you think that's pure water? You know what that youth is going to do? They're going to drink it, aren't they? Because they're up for the challenge. But what does that one clean slash toilet water thing do? It makes it all bad, doesn't it? Friends, we need to be careful about who we take in. Is this church open to everyone? Yes, it is. Please hear that clearly. But when it comes to membership and leading and teaching, we have to be careful. Because, friends, one false teacher can spoil a bunch. We also, thirdly, at this church, need to be careful about seeing people out. In TVBC, if you have questions about why we believe what we believe, please, we are not going to be offended. Come talk to us. Talk to a deacon. Talk to your Sunday school teacher. We, we subscribe to the Baptist faith and message. If you have questions about that, see us. Talk to us. But no, we're here to help you. We're not here to berate you. We're not here to beat you over the head with a, a Bible. But we want to help you know why you believe what you believe. How about a lesson about working for the good of other congregations? Like this letter John's writing to, we should want to see all churches with the name of Christ prosper. We want to see the building up of other churches, like-minded churches. Not even just Baptists all the time, but, but, but churches that believe and are together for the gospel. That's why we pray for and associate with other churches. And friend, can I be honest with you? Our church, and maybe as families, we need to be very careful about what denominations and parachurch organizations we give money to. We shouldn't support denominations or parachurch organizations that claim the name of Christ but do the opposite with their doctrine. When sending money to someone, it, that is making their work, work possible. And consent is only giving consent to their teaching. Be very careful who you give money to, even as a Christian. And lastly, and I told you the big main point, how does this relate to TVBC? We need to remember that it's the congregation's responsibility to the pastors and teachers here. The congregation as a whole, in the biblical framework, is responsible for the teaching of this church. Matt, Blake, myself, all have a hand in that. The deacons do. But if anyone ever preaches a gospel that is opposed to what we believe, friends, we should run away. I've said this publicly before. If you te catch me teaching something, if, if Matt, Blake, I'm going to throw them up here too. If we are teaching something unbiblical, come confront us. Why? Because that is the only way this church will remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boy, that sounds intense. It is. But trust me, it is the best for you, grandparents. It is the best thing for your grandchildren. Parents, it's the best thing for your, all the way up, all the way down the age spectrum is the best thing ever. The truth is worth being defended, and it's worth being divided over, friends. If the truth isn't defended, the church is then divided, the gospel is diluted, and the people are deceived. Whew. We might look for the truth. Maybe today, that's your prayer for a family member. Maybe today, that's a prayer for a church that you know around this area. You, you know, uh, Lauren, I, I, Lauren, you may remember this story. There's a church, and I won't name it publicly, but there's a church in the Westport area, I'll say that, that long ago, there was a church near Jewel, long ago, that taught the truths of God's word. And slowly but surely, false teaching got in there. And slowly but surely, the two biggest sending missionary churches in our area started to go south. And now they say, just come believe what you want, share a testimony. It's just a, it's just a big mess. Friends, I am grateful that the truth of God's word is singular. It's exclusive. 
It's intolerant because it's only one way, but it's also tolerant because whosoever will can come to Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, come. This is the time. We must look for the truth lastly, and this is it. We must long for the truth. Very short point here. We must long for the truth. Will you look back with me at verses 12 and 13? Verses 12 and 13. Paul's, or Paul, John says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is why you can't pastor using Facebook. This is why you actually sometimes have to go and meet with people. Uh, I think many of you know that. Most of you come from the generation where if it wasn't a handshake or face-to-face, it didn't mean anything, right? Our generation is, if you don't get a text message or a Facebook, it ain't real till we see it. So that's, it's just amazing how that happens. But John shares his heart here. John shares his open heart. Paper and pen were not sufficient for him. He wanted to see these people because he longed to see the truth in them, and they longed to see the truth in him. Two quick points. First, we must long for the truth to experience the fullness of joy. Friends, you come here each Sunday, and we're so grateful for that. Face-to-face is a beautiful Greek idiom, which literally means mouth-to-mouth. When believers who love the Lord Jesus come together, there's indeed a fullness of joy, one which words cannot express. Biblical fellowship is not just getting together talking about the royals. The biblical fellowship is when we lay ourselves out, when we are transparent, when we are accountable, when we are able to be vulnerable, to use my generation's word with each other, to say, you know, I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? I, I'm having a hard time right now. Would you pray for me? I, I, I have a need. I, I may, you may not be able to be in all the need, but would you help me with this? That's what a biblical church is about, one that loves the truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great a World War II pastor who we would not agree with all his theology, but I think on the gospel we would agree. The, he said this. He said, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Many of you have traveled outside the country, around the country. Isn't it nice to go to a church that you know preaches the gospel and you feel like you just stepped in home? Isn't that a nice feeling? Friends, do you have those kind of relationships here in this church? Many of you are visiting and are developing those, but have you put yourself out there? My pastor, Willie Davis, used to tell this story about his 90-year-old mom, and he called her one time in Kansas and said, Mom, how's church? And she said, You know, Willie, I've been sick the last three weeks, and no one's cared for me. No one's stopped by. No one's called. No one's texted. She actually texted at 90, believe it or not. No one cares for me, Willie. No one cares for me. And you know, my wise pastor, mentor of mine said, You know, Mom, but who have you reached out to as well? Friends, are you comfortable with the same people you've known for years, or have you branched out to meet other people in this church? That's how you'll experience the truth of joy in a gospel-centered church. Last thing, experience the fellowship of a family. Verse 13, the children of the elect church greet you. The letter closes with a greeting either from the, uh, the, the, the church's sister or the lady's sister or the sister church, and they stand with John. And that's why the last application point is this. In the church, we have to deliberately let ourselves be transparent. We have to deliberately let ourselves be accountable because we are family. Church, we're family here. I know you know that. We, you know, one thing, I've talked to several visitors. Many of you are in this room. We've had this conversation. The one thing we hear constantly about Tower View is that when you walk in, you feel like you have a family already. Has anyone experienced that here? Maybe I'm the only one. Friends, we have a thing that you can't teach most churches. And that's an amazing gift of God. Amen? Thank God for that. 
But one thing is that we must remember is even if there's a person of another race, another a walk of life, is that someday all of us, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, every people, every tongue, every nation, we're all one big family. If we're in Christ, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what an amazing day that's going to be. A rock concert in heaven, all to God's glory, with the multifaceted people that make up his church. Amen. What a day that will be. You know, I love this picture, Amy. Throw it up there. Many of you know who this is. Anyone know who this is? This is George W. George H. W. Bush. This is 90-year-old George H. W. Bush. Betty Dewey, you are not close to 90, but you have a goal for your 90th birthday. You know George Bush. No way. You know George Bush loves, the, the senior loves to skydive, but I love what his wife said last year when he skydived at age 90. The landing zone was on the lawn of a church, and she said, Barbara Bush joked, that if the jump didn't succeed, he didn't make it, at least they wouldn't have to travel very far for the funeral and the burial. <laughs> you know, I hope that's not how we view church here, right? I hope that's not how we view each other here in the attitude that we have. I pray that you experience the fullness of joy and the expanding fellowship of his kingdom here at Tower View Baptist Church because we want to be gospel-centered in all that we do. Friends, this Jesus and the message about him is the focal point of everything. Everything that we do at this church is all about Christ. He defines eternity. We must love this truth. We must live this truth. It affects every part of who we are as who Jesus is. And after all, wasn't it Jesus who said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free? You know, Harvard and all, I think, I'm looking at Blake and Matt here, Harvard or one of those has that, that verse stapled over their doors. You know, Harvard, the Harvard, you know, you got to say it with that accent. You know, that was started as a seminary back 300 years ago, guys, somewhere in there. And look where we're at now. Some of the most liberal social stuff comes out of Harvard. And friends, it has the verse plastered up there. Don't think that you yourself cannot fall, not from salvation, but fall into false teaching. Don't think that our church cannot fall. Friends, we must watch ourselves. Would you make that your prayer this week? Because we have the truth of the gospel. What an amazing truth it is. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to, to come together. Lord, I, I admit this is not an easy message to digest. It's not an easy message to preach. It's not an easy message, Lord, just to share. But, Father, I pray that you do keep our families here. You keep our individuals, young and old, middle-aged, teenager, whatever we are, in the gospel, in the word, so that we know right from wrong. Father, we, we thank you that you have given us the liberty in this country to believe what we will believe. But, Father, at the same time, You's also given us as, as Christians the command to go and make disciples of all nations. Father, at time, rebuking with love, with boldness, with patience, with gentleness, with respect, but rebuking nonetheless. Father, we pray that this church would be founded, as John has taught us the last couple weeks, on truth, on love. Father, thank you that we can be friends of those without Christ. You, you call us to do that, but Father, may you protect our, our hearts, minds, our churches, our families from false teaching. For the lion, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. But, Father, I thank you. The verse before that in First Peter 5 says, We are to cast all our cares on you. Father, we cast the care that our church would remain steadfast continually in all levels, in all decisions, towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your Son. We know it's only by him, through him, in him, and to him that all things are possible. We love you. We praise you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.